uh, I have to be honest with you, um, you know, Easter is like Super Bowl Sunday for pastors, and there's normally a lot of pressure on pastors. And, and so every Easter, like a part of me, I kind of dread the Easter. Um, I have to be honest. I'm confessing. If I can be honest in the church, I don't know where else I can be honest with. But I also believe that in the confession of our sins, there's great freedom in it. But, but anyway, uh, there's times that I dread Easter. And the reason I dread it is not because there's more people, um, but because it, comp- it, it forces me to talk about the resurrection. And so the pressure for me about talking about the resurrection is trying to take the resurrection and put a new spin on it. Because I know there's some of you that only come once a year, and every Sunday that you come, once a year, you're like, man, this guy's always talking about the resurrection. What is this all about? And that's true because that's on Easter. It is the day where we celebrate that the tomb is empty. And so all the pressure is on me in trying to somehow put a different spin or twist or truth on something that has happened long, long time ago that you can maybe be a little bit more interested in and thinking, you know what? I've never thought about that. And so in my struggle with it, what the Lord's really done is really convicted me and kind of showed me how the resurrection is powerful and you don't have to put a different spin on it or a different twist on it. We don't always have to, we have to always talk about it because what happens is that the resurrection lies at the heart of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there really is no gospel. And so my goal in this confession is to kind of be honest with you. Hey, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but what I do not want to accomplish is to discover a new truth or a truth that you've never thought about. That's not my job here. But what I'm trying to do is to teach you this old story and, and not just learn more about the story, but become more familiar about the story and allow the story to change our lives and our hearts. Because here's the thing. The resurrection lies at the heart of the gospel without the resurrection there is no gospel and what the gospel is gospel is the good news of who jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross and the gospel has to be proclaimed it has to be heralded like good news it's not just simply information but news that needs to be proclaimed and when this news is proclaimed what happens is god's power is being unleashed and it transforms our lives and the gospel has such an implication it doesn't just alter your behavior it doesn't just alter your life it changes your life it brings you from death to life, which is, a, which is a 180, a complete different direction. And this is what the gospel does. And so my job to this morning is for us to, is to become more familiar with the story and see how the story changes us as we look at the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now, now a little background before we get into the text, um, if you're not familiar with the story. Um, Jesus was betrayed. Uh, he's wrongly convicted as a criminal, and he is facing literally a mockery of a trial. Like every single law that was broken, when it comes to prosecuting somebody, they all broke it. And then Jesus is beaten, he is whipped, he is disrobed, thorns were twisted together into a crown for Jesus' head, piercing his forehead and mocking his claim of Jesus being the king of all kings. And then they take iron spikes and it drove it through his hands and his feet, fixing him to the cross. And he was lifted up to be a spectacle for all to see. And those shook their fists and those who mocked him and said he can save everybody else, but he couldn't save himself. And as Jesus breathed his last breath, his, his dangled, lifeless body just dangled on the cross. 
And we know that the Romans took a spear and pierced his lungs and his blood, separated with water, and yet not a single bone was broken on his body. And as evening approached on the Sabbath loomed, a secret disciple named Joseph of Arthemea came to Pilate and asked if he could have Jesus' body and if he could give him a proper burial. And he took Jesus' body and he gave him a proper burial and he put him in his own tomb. And then a large stone was rolled in front of the tomb and a seal was placed in front of it and Roman soldiers were assigned to guard this tomb to make sure that no one steal and takes his body. And this is one of the darkest moments or actually the darkest moment in the history of all humanity however the sun still rose on sunday and so will the sun and this is where we pick up our story in matthew chapter 28 verse 1 it says this after the sabbath as the first day of the week was dawning mary magdalene and the other mary went to view the tomb There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. And the angel told the woman, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lies. Now really in our text what we're seeing is fear everywhere. Fear because of a violent earthquake. Fear because the angels of the Lord are descending uh, from heaven and they rolled away the the, the stone. Uh, The fear was so great that the Roman soldiers, okay, think about it. These were professionals, okay? Professional soldiers. They got paid to kill people. They got paid to defend the Roman Empire. And they were so overcome by fear that they didn't even defend the tomb. They didn't even attack the angel. They didn't even go back to Pilate and ask for backup. Basically, the Bible says that they were overcome by fear. They collapsed and became like dead men. Think about Navy SEALs overcome by fear, and rather defending, they fall as if they're dead in the fetal position. And then you have the women arriving at the scenes, and and they would have collapsed as well. Instead, the angel brings a message, a message of hope, a message of victory, a message that calms their fears and says, He is not here, for He is risen. And so if you're taking notes in your discipleship book, that's what we give you on your way in. The first thing that we can learn is this, is that fear gives way to belief because of the empty tomb. Fear gives way because of the empty tomb. Fear gives way to belief because of the empty tomb. Now, now, now let's think about this here, okay? What is very interesting is that none of the disciples, all the followers of Jesus, ever expected Jesus to die. Like even after Jesus told them that the Son of Man is going to suffer at the hands of men, they didn't put two and two together. Because in their mind, they thought to themselves, yeah, maybe he would suffer a little bit, maybe way, way, way in the future, but there's no way that Jesus is going to die because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the one that we've been waiting for to bring in the kingdom of God and to restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel 
Israel, take the kingdom away from the evil Roman Empire and to restore it to Israel. And even when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday on a donkey, they were waving palm branches and what were they shouting? Hosanna, Hosanna. In other words, come Lord, save us. Save us, believing that He is the King. And so the death of Jesus came at one of the biggest shocks. And even when Jesus came on this earth, He talked about the kingdom of God and He declared that the kingdom of God is near. And then all of a sudden, Jesus died. And all hope was lost. And fear set in. Now, now think about from the followers and the disciples' perspective. Like, what do we do now? Like, we thought He was the Messiah. We thought that He was the Son of God, that He was God in the flesh, that He is the King of kings. He was the one who's supposed to bring in the kingdom of God and give it back to us as Israel, as God's people, so that He can rule and reign, and we live under His rule, under His reign, receiving His blessings, and now He is dead. Some of them are thinking, well, I've given up everything to follow Him. What do I do now? Like, like Mary gave up her basically her life savings account by, by taking this expensive perfume and, and pouring it all over Jesus, anointing him, thinking she's anointing him as king, and Jesus is saying, no, she's anointing me for my burial. It's like, well, what do we do now? How do we move on from here? Where do we go? Wasn't Jesus supposed to reclaim the kingdom of God, and now he is dead and fear has set in, and yet something happened that no one expected to happen. None of disciples expected it to happen. In the, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16 explains the purpose of these women visiting. They were on their way to anoint Jesus' body with spices so that they could give him this appropriate embalming. And so on their way to the tomb, one can imagine just the conversations they might have had with one another where there might have been fear in their hearts because they're thinking to themselves, we're on our way to the tomb. We want to anoint Jesus' body. We want to grieve and make sure that his body is taken care of because the one we love the one we put our hope in is all of a sudden dead and they're probably wondering to themselves who's going to move the stone away who's going to talk to the soldiers do you think the soldiers are going to be compliant and actually allow us to move the stone away do you think they might even help us or do are they going to arrest us and charge us of wanting to steal jesus's body or they're going to attack us or, or kill us what are we going to do and as they're walking, they have all these thoughts running through their minds. And as they're going to the tomb, something surprisingly happened. Instead of meeting a body that they wanted to anoint, they ran into an angel that says, don't fear. He's not here. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And it was at that very moment that all fear gave way as they looked into the tomb. And fear gets replaced with belief because of the empty tomb. Now, it's very important for us to say this, but when we say Jesus is alive, or when the angel said that Jesus is alive, that he is not here, come and see for yourself. He's not being metaphorical. You see, what, the, what Jesus came, he came as, as God took on flesh, humbled himself 
put on the flesh so he could die in the body and in the process of him dying for us, he could somehow satisfy God's wrath that was geared towards us as rebellious sinners who've actively rebelled against God and that he could also cover our sins, atone for it in full. And so he had to be uh, risen again in the body in order for our justification, in order for what Jesus actually has done uh, on the cross for it actually to be fulfilled and completed and accomplished so that our sins can be atoned for once and for all and we can be declared right with God. And therefore, when we say Jesus is alive, what we really mean by that is that Jesus right now is living and breathing in a physical, resurrected body, securing forever our eternal life and our future resurrection bodies. And the depth of Christ's humiliation followed by the emptiness of the tomb reminds us of the fullness of God's power and the unstoppable nature of His plans. You see, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is evident enough to see God's unflinching devotion for His glory and our good. So we believe and we put our faith in the nature and the character of God and that's what gives our faith power. It is the object of our faith that gives its power that sets aside fear and that's what's happening. The lady saw the empty tomb. And fear gave way to belief because the tomb was empty. And they realized that God's power must have raised Jesus from the dead. Let's keep on reading verse 7. It says this. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. And so moments before this encounter with the angel, the women have been heading to the tomb expecting to anoint a dead body and continue their grieving process. However, this grief was kind of short-circuited. The Lord was alive and moving, and in an instant, their sorrow and their, uh, their sorrow turned into great joy. And so here's the second thing we learn from the empty tomb. Not only does fear give way to belief, but fear gives way to joy because of the empty tomb. Fear gives way to joy because of the empty tomb. You see, joy is the only response to Jesus' resurrection. The cross and the empty tomb bears witness to God's heart for those He loves, for all sinners. And the cross shows us Jesus' love for us. You see what really is happening on the cross is so much. We see on the cross, we see God's wrath displayed on the cross where He pours His wrath out on His Son. And God's wrath is His hatred towards sin. And yet at the same time as He pours His wrath and displays His wrath on the cross that is geared towards us as rebellion sinners, He also displays His love for us. And so if you really want to understand the significance of God's wrath and God's love that happens simultaneously, it all happens at the cross. Because all sin is telling God, you're not God. 
This is God or I am God and God hates sin. And on that cross, he pours his wrath on his son because his wrath was geared towards us. And rather than us facing the wrath of God, Jesus came and faced God's wrath and satisfied God's wrath. And yet at the same time as it is this display of God's wrath, it's also a display of his love for us that in satisfying God's wrath, he also atones for our sins and so on the cross we see the display of god's wrath and god's love and the empty tomb we see the display of god's power paul even says uh in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 17 the apostle paul makes it clear that if jesus is still dead we are dead still dead in our sins But since there's no corpse of Christ, those who believe are alive in him, have been set free from the power of sin, have the penalty of sin paid for, and now we are declared righteous, heirs of the kingdom of God. Sin no longer dominates over us because Christ has undid death. And and so here's the blessings of the gospel that is wrapped up in the resurrection. Like, not only have you been set free from the the penalty of sin, in other words, you no longer have to pay for the penalty of sin, but you're also set free from the power of sin. You were an enemy of God, and now you are a child of God, adopted into His family, heir to the kingdom of God, declared righteous in Christ, all of it bundled together in the resurrection. And above all, salvation is about being in Christ who loves us and died for us. And this was their source of unending joy. And this is our source of unending joy. Not just because Jesus is alive, but what it means that Jesus is alive. And what it means for us that Jesus is alive is that I no longer are under the penalty of my own sin. And I am being set free from the power of sin right now. And so the angel told the women not to fear. But when the women left, the Bible says that they left with fear and great joy. And it seems like they weren't able to rid completely of this fear, although joy was overshadowing them. And their fear now was they realized actually who Jesus was more than ever before. He really was God. He really was the Messiah, the Son of God. So all of a sudden, they have this fear, not because of Jesus being dead, but they have this fear that Jesus is alive, this respect and this awe that King Jesus is alive, sitting and ruling and reigning on His throne, and joy overwhelming them as they are walking in obedience. And so this joy and fear leads to this faithful obedience. Verse 9 says this, this is where we continue He says, just then, Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And so the two women who did not get far before their meeting with the angel was eclipsed in wonder and splendor. 
And the two women came face to face to Jesus, which now in turn turns to face to foot with the risen Christ, where their only response in their joy was to bow down and to worship him. You see, experiencing an angel and seeing a tomb empty is compelling evidence of the resurrection. But coming face to face with the resurrected Christ is undeniable evidence. And so in their encounter with the resurrected Jesus, the only thing they could do was absolutely worship him. There was nothing else to do as they fell down at his feet and worshiped him in awe of who he is as the risen Savior, the King of all kings. And Jesus, who is alive, repeats the exact same mission as what the angels told them. And so their worship didn't stop when Jesus told them what to do. Their worship continued as they walked in obedience, doing what Christ has called them to do. Go and tell my brothers that I am alive and I will meet them in Galilee. And so in our story with the empty tomb, we see that fear gives way to belief. Fear gives way to joy. And the third thing that we learn is this, is that fear gives way to obedience because of the empty tomb. Notice that Jesus didn't tell the woman anything the angel had not told them already. The woman could not have been the same after they saw the resurrected Savior that morning. Not only did their plans change of anointing the dead body, But their lives have always changed. And here's the thing. When you encounter the resurrected Christ, not only does your plans change, your life changes. Your life does not stay the same. You cannot be who you used to be. And so before Jesus is alive, He's not only changed us, but He's also given us a mission. And part of that reason why we are changed. And so now what do we do? We live for Him. We live for his mission, spreading his name to the ends of the earth with this message that he is not dead, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. And what that means is what he's actually accomplished on the cross has been fulfilled, is for real. You see, the good news of Jesus wasn't just the good news for them, for the women, but it's good news for us today. I love what Robert Smith Jr. says. He says this, To magnify Jesus Christ is not literally to make him bigger. His influence is already felt in three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. Heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. He fills the universe with his power. Rather, to magnify Christ is to present him in such a way that the hearers see him in a more glorious, majestic, holy, sovereign, just, faithful, and mighty manner than they've ever seen him before. And so the woman's fear gave way to belief, joy, and worship of Jesus to move them not only to follow his commands, but also to want to follow his commands as an act of worship. You see, God is not just after our obedience. He is after our motivation that drives that obedience. An obedience that is fueled by the love and gratitude for who Christ is and what he's done. That is worship. It declares the majesty of the resurrected Christ and glorifies his name. So let's wrap this up. Let's talk. See, on Good Friday... Jesus laid down his life. 
breathed his last to pay for the penalty of sin, satisfy God's wrath that was geared towards us. A penalty that Jesus did not have to pay, but a penalty he substituted himself to pay for sinners like you and me. But then on that blessed third day, he breathed again once more. And the empty tomb is evidence of that, and all fear gives way. Sin and death has been defeated, and so our joy surges. And now what we do, we live by faith, faith in Christ, obeying as an act of worship because of the risen Savior on mission to make much of Jesus, to go and make disciples through the ends of the earth. See, here's how the Lord is convicting me. How are you responding to the empty tomb? Whether you're in Christ or not, how are you responding to the empty tomb? Some of us, maybe you're responding in disbelief. As you say, the jury is still out. Some of you might respond in apathy. It's like, eh, it's Easter, that's just what I do. Makes no difference to me whether there was somebody who died or whether the tomb is full or not or whether they found his body or not. Eh, whatever. Some of you might respond in curiosity. It's like, well, it's interesting. I like to think about it, but that's about it. And then some respond in joy. So whether you're a believer or not, how are you responding to the empty tomb? When you hear the story of Jesus' resurrection, What goes on in your heart? See, personally for me, there was a little bit of apathy. And then what the Lord really did is really convicted me and really showed me, you know what, that apathy, that's sinful because what that is showing, what what I am showing God is that I'm not really understanding the implications of the resurrection of what actually happened. Because if I understood exactly what happened on that cross for me and the power of the empty tomb, it would not be apathy. It would not be disbelief. It would not be curiosity. It would be a pure joy. So it would be a topic that I would want to discuss and study and read and talk about every single day because without the resurrection, there is no gospel there. There is no life. We are dead in our sins, still having to be accountable to God, still having to figure out how in the world are we going to pay for our sins. But because of the resurrection, our sins have been atoned for. The wrath of God has been satisfied. So now we can stand in the presence of the Lord and He does not consume us, but actually welcomes us in as children of the King, all because of the resurrection. So I want us to pray. I want us to meditate. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. How am I responding to the resurrection? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what your son has accomplished for us on the cross, that you've sent your son to die for us in our place to pay for our rebellion against you. 
And on the cross, you displayed your righteousness, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we take time right now to reflect and to meditate, pray that you'd convict us. I pray that you reveal truth to us. Pray that lives will be transformed. So we're just going to take some time right now, and I just want you to, to meditate on this question. How am I personally responding to the resurrection, to the empty tomb?